What is up, everyone? Hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here for episode 129 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Shawan Humes once again. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and turning tuning into our show. Shawan, why don't you tell uh, everyone hello and how you're doing? Oh, hey, hello, guys. Doing well as always. Just busy, man. I training kids in basketball. Had a couple amateur boxers hire me to do film study their last fights had a couple fighters call me mma so it's like three sports so it's just non-stop that and work is just always on the go man now i now i have an idea of what it's like to live your life and i don't like it <laughs> um i don't even know how to respond to that yeah it, it's always busy you know it's one thing after another one thing after another so you know how it kind of goes um are you are you ready to talk about some MMA this week, man? We got quite a little bit to talk. We don't have uh, too much to talk about, but still got some things I want to pick up on. Are you ready to talk some MMA today? Yep, always ready to talk MMA. That's what we're here for. So we get paid the big bucks for that LeBron money. <laughs> so I want to start with uh, the Dana White contender series. Have you been watching this season? What are your thoughts about some of the fights, and have you noticed any prospects that stand out to you? Uh. I don't. I haven't seen anybody who I just saw who leaps off the screen. I mean, I'm just thinking this person's a future champion. There's a lot of people who I, I see who are young, who, guys who I think who can make some headway in mixed martial arts in the UFC. Just because we're getting to that point where a lot of the mainstays in multiple divisions are starting to get to, to turn the corner where they're starting to decline. So this is the point where the fresh blood starts coming in, and if, if they're what Dana thinks they are, should start in their process of building them up and eventually putting them in a position where they can push out those aging stars. So in that regard, I see a lot of young talent, see a lot of athleticism. Uh, even with the guys who are more experienced, I don't, I don't see kind of the seasoning I would like to see or the poise, but I, I see the potential, and that's, that's all you, you need at that level. True, true. Um, what do you think about Tracy Cortez? I think she has a pretty interesting story, and you know she has a type of look that the UFC loves to promote. Yeah, I think I think they're gonna. I mean, to be quite honest, it's clear when I when I first saw her and I heard about her story, I was thinking she'd have to do something pretty awful for her to not have a chance to move forward in the UFC. She, like you said, she has a look. She clearly has skills, but most importantly, she has a look and she has a backstory. And the UFC, even though they're not good at building stars, they are good at p- providing that platform for people who have star quality. To kind of text to take the next step, and she seems to have all the all the characteristics, all the ingredients to be a potential star. Plus, in that division, the flyweight division, there's not a lot of established names. A lot of the girls who are big big in there are girls who ha- haven't made an impact as far as becoming dominant fighters or becoming celebrities. And a lot of the women in there are trending towards older age, older age. So you can't really imagine them being around for the next two to four years, at least not at a high level. So she's coming in at a time when they need live bodies, they need legitimate skill, but they need people who can move the needle. And she seems to have a little bit of all of that. In fact, I'd, I'd, give, I'd say that she has a better chance at making, at making an impression than a lot of the male fighters, because there's so many male fighters, you, they can almost bleed together as far as their stories and their presentation and their looks. We're still at the stage where we don't have enough female fighters where somebody stands out a little bit, they might as well just, they might as well just be a sore thumb because they stick out so much because everybody else has either been around and kind of you've gotten familiar with them or they're just new and they haven't made an impression at all. So you have somebody who's got a look, has made an impression, and can fight. 
Uh, that's all the things Dana wants. So I, I fully expect her to get the to get put not fast tracked, but I fully expect the UFC to get behind her in hopes that she can become maybe what someone like Paige Van Zandt was supposed to be and, and never really achieved. That's actually what I was about to say, that she is so distinct that I think she has a better opportunity of standing out compared to a lot of the other fighters. Because even looking at all the men that have fought and gotten contracts so far, the only one that really stands out is the guy who recently won and got cut because he failed the uh, drug test. Outside of that, none of these guys really have a long-lasting image that will stand out to me in the near future. Yeah, it's, it's the op- like, a lot of times people say that, you know, because it was male-oriented and male-dominated, and it did work against women. They didn't get these opportunities. But the, the other thing, thing that did work in their favor is that when women got these opportunities, it became a big issue. You know, when Ronda became big, she was the first female star, so she's getting everything. Everybody's putting everything into her. Because she's opening the door. And even no matter what you think about her competition or how she acted, even though she wasn't probably, because of the time she came in, she's not going to be remembered, remembered as one of the more technical fighters. She became a huge star. She became the motor that moved the car, which was the women's division. And because there's so many men, it's really easy to get hung up on one guy and go to the next guy and go to the next guy. But when you have a woman who's got a really good story and can really fight, that stands out because there's still not that many women who can fight at a world-class level and have anything interesting that stands out of them as far as a mass appeal, not not fitting into a niche. And in the case of Tracy Cortez, she's she seems like she's come up with a little bit more of a structured training, training regimen and style. So unlike a Paige Van Zandt, who was kind of more of an athlete who was directed to fight, Cortez seems to have a little bit more investment and her her all-round skill set and how she approaches the game. So if she can ride that wave of popularity with her story, she should have the goods to back it up. And she's in a division that's very thin. So she's going to get a lot of attention. And she's going to have a better chance of succeeding than these other guys who are going into divisions that are 25 legit guys deep. Flyweight division isn't 25 girls deep. She could win two or three fights and be a contender. She could win four fights and have a title shot. She has a real chance to make some noise in that division, in the women's division, even though she'd just be a new entrant in it. She has a very good chance to make some noise. The other guys coming in, they don't have as good a chance. They don't have as good a shot. The divisions are deeper. The skill sets are higher. There's more diversity as far as the body types, the athletic tools, and the technical tools. So they got, they got a bigger hill to climb, and they're not going to get as much support and fanfare until they start beating top-end guys. Cortez is going to come in with a lot of fanfare, and she's going to come in with a supporting system, and she's going to come in with a better than 50% chance of reeling off one, two, three wins if they manage her right. And they'd have no reason to manage her wrong because she has the potential to be a star. So she's she's actually on a better path than a lot of them who are probably going to get thrown to the wolves. As we know, the contender series guys have not done great in the UFC. Those are awesome good thoughts there. And I mean, other than, um, oh man, what's the guy's name? The white guy who has popped twice once for for... Marijuana, what's his name? Oh my god, I um, know you're talking about. Sean something, Sam. Uh, the the fact uh, that we can the, the fact that we can remember he got popped twice for something is is not not the impression. It proves the point we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Not not so the devastating like, knockout, I, not the win streak. He popped twice. That's what we're talking about. Sean, uh, I know you're talking about. Oh, the guy with the big fro. Yeah, the sugar sugar Sean face. sugar Sean something. 
Yeah, I see his face, but I can't think of his name. But, you know, I mean, like, you're right. A lot of these guys, other than Greg Hardy, haven't stood out in a way that makes us want to um, latch on to them. But I will say that this is, this, is, this is still better than the Ultimate Fighter, which will not go away. I cannot wait for a time where we don't have to talk about the Ultimate Fighter, where we don't talk about it on this show at all. But we're at a point where hopefully... Dana White Contender well, Series will overtake the Ultimate Fighter as their number one prospect channel. With the Contender Series, you have organic stuff. There's not the lot. The Ultimate Fighter started off as a good idea because you were getting the top ranked fighters who were not in the UFC, who were trying to get in the UFC. At some point, it turned a corner and you started getting people who weren't high level fighters, but were high level characters. They had drama, they picked fights, they used to drink, they used to be the. Brought up by a drug, druggy family. They had stories that overshadowed their actual skills. And that's where the Ultimate Fighter lost its edge. In Dana White's Contender Series, the stories are a part of it, but they're not manufactured. It's very organic. And the biggest priority is can you fight? Yeah, you're interesting, but if you don't win that fight, we ain't going to hear from you again. Whereas on the Ultimate Fighter, you're guaranteed 12 weeks of nonsense, even if you get beat in the first round. So it's like it's more, orga- it's more organic storytelling. And the focus stays on the athlete's abilities and the athlete's actual skill. And that's what people like about it so much. Because the Ultimate Fighter has turned into like a drama series. Like a, what do you call it, a soap opera. Not not really high-level fights, not real high-level fighters, but lots of interesting people on the show. And at the end of the day, we're fight fans. We want to see good fights. And speaking of soap opera, because you actually said something great there, uh, let's talk about Chris Cyborg, because this is a continuing soap opera in which uh, she, her contract is now up and there's back and forth about whether or not she'll return to the UFC to face Amanda Nunez. Dana White is steady pushing the narrative that she doesn't want to fight with Amanda Nunez, but Cyborg is telling us the exact opposite. What do you think about this situation here? Are we at a, at a, are we at a point where this relationship can't be salvaged? And who is in the right and wrong here? Are you, do you think Cyborg is in the wrong or Dana White? I've been consistent in my thought process, and I kept asking, and we have said this multiple times on the show, I have no idea why you come to work for an organization where they openly make fun of you, insult you, and call you names. Like, what's the point of it? They've made her Vanderlei in a dress, Rhonda's called her names, people have referred to her him as her as a him, and she looks like this, she looks like that, and yet she willingly signed on a dotted line to be a part of this organization. And they haven't treated her as one of the best female fighters. They haven't even treated her as a dominant champion. She had her first, what, two or three fights having to come in at a weight class that didn't even exist to make 140? How do you have a long-reigning undefeated champion have to come in five, five pounds below her weight to compete? You couldn't get anybody to move up? You couldn't get anybody to move up and make a title up? Instead, you made her headline these Brazilian cards, fight under her, her fighting weight? For what? So she could be disrespected and put treated as a sideshow? I don't, I don't know why she came here, other than just having the three letters behind her. I didn't think it was a good idea. I was never supportive of this. And from that regard, she knew what she was getting into, because Dana was not cool with her. Dana did not respect her. He continued to disrespect her, so I don't know why this is a shock. It's like she didn't hear anything he had ever said about her through the entirety of her career. And then she decided, well, I signed on with him, and I don't know why he's treating me like this. That's like dating someone who cheated on you all the time, and then marrying someone, and then being like, I don't understand why he's cheating on me. This is what he's always done. How are you offended? How are you caught off guard? So to that regard, I think she kind of walked into this. It doesn't make him right. I still think he's in the wrong for doing it and being like this. But the fact of the matter is he's doing the same thing he's been doing since day one with her. And I don't know why she expected anything different. 
If she wanted to make money and get paid and have some acclaim, she got that. But she had to know she was going to get those jokes and get that disrespect because that's all he's given her through the entire length of her career. How much now? See, I, I think the answer to your question now is that she didn't really have anywhere else to go that would pay her the money that she wanted. Maybe Bellator could have paid her what she wanted. I don't know if one could have done so. But I think there is a level of prestige that came in that there is unquestionably no doubt that she can't say that she fought the best fighters that were available for her to fight at her time. And, I mean, she's going to go down as one of the two greatest women's fighters of all time. And I think to achieve that, she had to come into the UFC and take the fights that, that that she took. And I think that's a big part of why she did so. I believe she came in to the UFC with the intention of getting that Ronda Rousey fight, but we all saw how that played out. So I don't blame her for joining the organization that continuously bashed her, but we shouldn't be surprised that we're in the situation that we're in right now. That's all I'm saying. I don't blame her either, but you know, it's like you go in a situation, you know certain things are going to happen. Does it make it right? But if you came in here thinking it was going to be easy, you know, it's like being the first black kid at an all-white school. I'm not saying anything they do or say to you is right. But did you really think it was just going to be easy? Are you surprised people are mean to you? You aren't mentally prepared for that? You had to know that was going to happen. I understand the money. I understand all that. But if that's the reason you're going into it and, and it's about the money and you just didn't have any other opportunities, it's like being at a job you don't like but you need. Your boss may treat you like crap, but you shut up and take it because you need this job. Whether you got kids, you got bills, whatever the problem is, you just shut up and you do business because that's the situation you currently find yourself in. I guess she's being more vocal now because she has options in front of her. And if she didn't have options, maybe she wouldn't be as vocal. But to me, it's like, I'm not a Dana White fan by any means, but she had to know this was going to happen. And once again, I don't pay her bills. I don't take her issues. So she's got to do what she's got to do. I'm just not a big fan of signing on to be at a company where they don't have your best interest at at hand. You know, Rhonda got beat and ran from the cameras and Dana just defends her, defends her, defends her. Cyborg beats gets beat, faces the cameras, is honest, is open, and he can't do anything but bury her. It's like they they're paying him to to see how much value he can take away from her in every interview he does. So where do you think she fights next? Where do we see her and in twenty twenty? Honestly, I w- I would like her to take maybe some time off. Oh, given the point she's at her career, she might not want to take time off. To get the quick, the best and quickest bet is she goes to Bellator, which has a few featherweights, and she fights Julia Budd for the Bellator featherweight title. I personally would like her to take some time off, wait it out, train, work on her skill set, because she's got to diversify it a little bit as she's declining. Go to PFL and fight, and eventually put on one side of bracket, have Kayla Harrison on the other side of bracket, fight it all the way through, get to the playoffs. And hopefully have the final of Harrison versus Cyborg for the lightweight title for the PFL. Because I would still put her on ESPN. It'd be a huge win for the PFL. She'd be on a huge platform. You can't tell me they wouldn't move their platform up for when Cyborg fights. She's a star. She Maybe she's not a Conor McGregor star. But as far as women go, outside of Holly Holm, she's probably on the Holly Holm, Misha Tate level. She's one of the biggest stars in women's mixed martial arts. And they have her fighting on their channel and they ever fighting for that promotion, that promotion will do better numbers, and ESPN will get their investment back on that promotion faster. That's what I would like to see. I don't think I'm going to get to see it, but that's what I would like to see. 
good stuff there. So I'm going to use that to segue into our third news bit, where it's about another situation where we're wondering about a fighter's career and BJ Penn, where he is scheduled. Um, I think he's going to face <clears throat> Nick Lentz at some point in time this year, riding seven fight losing streak over 1,000 significant headshots in his UFC tenure. What are we doing here? First, now, what I'm interested in is whether or not you think this fight actually will happen. Because I think that the blowback has been pretty overwhelming in reference to this fight being booked. Do you think Dana White and UFC tries to come up with a way that BJ Penn is quote-unquote injured or someone's injured and they have to pull this fight from the card and we never see it happen? Nope, I I have no faith that UFC does that. They've had lots of fights where people ha- had negative publicity and they've still gone ahead with it. So I have no reason to believe they're going to change just because of public pressure or public complaints or the public feeling bad about BJ Penn. I, I just don't, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Not at all, huh? You don't have any faith in them? No, I don't. I mean, if something, if BJ seriously actually gets hurt or something actually happens, sure. But I have no, I have no reason to believe the UFC is going to cave to public pressure. There was pressure after Rampage went nuts and was driving his truck all over cars. There's outrage with John Jones. There's outrage with the other one of the guys who were on Dana White looking for a fight series who had domestic abuse issues, and they let him fight once or twice. There was issues with Greg Hardy. I mean, a fighter who's past his prime getting fights and getting beat up, that's normal. That happens all the time. Like, that's the least... I mean, that's common in the in the fight business. This is actually something common. People can disagree with it, but it's still common. And if BJ passed the test and he seems fairly functional, then they're going to let the fight go. That's all it's to it. So they, people can disagree with it, but public pressure isn't going to stop this fight from happening. No way at all. So... Dana White would have to have a soul. He has no soul. Um, It should be just what happens with BJ Penn. He just gets grinded out. The thing about him is even though he's not who he used to be, he's still durable enough to not just get wiped out. After Chuck started declining, every time you hit Chuck with a good shot, he would go out or get hurt. BJ's still to the point where he can take a little bit of abuse. He's not crumbling every time he gets hit. When he gets hit or rocked, it's usually by shots that are actually pretty good shots to get rocked by. And the, the the confusing thing about BJ is he always looks good for like three or four minutes, five minutes. He always has spots where he looks good. He always has spots where you're like, wow, if he could just keep this going, he might be able to have something. He just can't maintain it because of his age, because of his fighting style, and because of all the, uh, the miles he's had racked up fighting at different weight classes and fighting basically elite world-class opponents for, for the entirety of his career. I have to favor Lentz to win and grind him out. I don't think highly of Lentz, so I guess in a fantasy world, it's a possibility that BJ can finish him. But BJ just doesn't have seem to have that finishing kick anymore. He doesn't take shots as well. His athleticism has fallen off, and he just he doesn't move as fast, and he doesn't hit as hard as he used to. It just, I mean, if Lentz loses this fight, his whole career is turned upside down and made a sham of. But most likely he won't. He'll just beat on BJ until they stop the fight or... Worse yet, BJ will take a full three rounds of abuse and lose a one-sided decision. But, you know, like I said, it, he's, too, he's too tough for his own good right now. Now, Dana did say something interesting, that this is the last time BJ fights in the UFC. If they do cut him, do we see him fight somewhere in like a 1FC or a Bellator? 
Or does everyone just raise their hands up and say, you know what, we're done with this guy? I honestly think part of the reason he's letting him fight this out is so that he doesn't have any value to someplace else. I mean, if BJ's getting all this blowback and the UFC's getting all this blowback, the UFC can take it. They're a huge organization. They're getting paid regardless. Can Bellator afford to catch this kind of heat? I don't know. Maybe Risen can. But, I mean, what does it do for them at this stage? I mean, BJ's a big star, but he's not that kind of star. And they've got good investments in funding. They don't necessarily need that kind of kick. There's lots of guys who want to fight over there. I don't, I don't see the purpose of having him over there. I don't think it does enough good to make up for the money they would spend on him, in my opinion. And Bellator, I don't think they can afford to take the public relations hit. You know, this guy couldn't compete with the UFC. He's getting beat by everybody. He's lost eight fights in a row, and you're going to sign him to a big contract? That looks bad. That looks real bad. Sorry about that. I was stuck on mute. So that's all I want to talk about from the news standpoint, because we have a fight card, too, actually. I forgot 1FC has a card this weekend as well. I want to talk about at least three fights on that card. But we have, if hailing from the armpit of the world in Newark, New Jersey, we have uh, Robbie Lawler facing Kobe Covington for what will probably be a number one contender slot, well, at least for Covington. Because we know Lawler is a little bit further out of the picture than that. Yes. But this is an important fight at 170. First, let's talk about the matchup strictly itself. And Shawana, I want to let you have your space here. Tell me about this matchup from what you see and how do you think it's going to play out? Uh, really, it's just a fight of who can assert their will and who can force who back. Um, Covington's big thing is he's a grinder. He puts pressure on you. He puts volume on you. He chips you up with strikes in the clinch. He chips you up with strikes on the ground. He forces you into these extended grappling exchanges, wrestling exchanges, and clinches up against the cage. He just pushes, 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 and there's volume, there's volume, there's volume, and he basically extends you, and then as you wear down, starts breaking you down, taking over the fight. That's basically what he's done throughout throughout this new run he's been on. He hasn't been particularly slick. He's not a counterpuncher. He's not a high-level submission kind of guy. He's the guy who imposes his will on you by forcing you to fight at a pace that you don't want to fight at. That's when you get sloppy. Your strikes get a little bit sloppier. Your defense gets a little bit more lax uh, because you're not because you're spending more energy than you're used to. You're not hitting with the power you do. You're not being as accurate. You can't hold certain positions. That's his whole plan. It's a long plan. By forcing you to fight at a higher pace than you're used you're used to, mentally you can't keep up. Physically you can't keep up. And when those things start giving out of you, that's when his athleticism, his physicality and his aggression turn the fight and essentially take it over. That's what he wants to do to Robbie. He wants to take some of the explosiveness out of his legs and his arms so he can't hit him with those one-hitter quitters. He wants to put him on his back, back foot and push him back so that Robbie can't find his range if Robbie can't settle down on his shots. And he wants to work with a lot of volume so that instead of punching with him, if he wants to overwhelm Robbie, where Robbie starts getting defensive where he's slipping and blocking and parrying instead of getting off with counters or pushing Covington back to create space to get off with his strikes. That's what he wants to do. And when guys have done that to Robbie Lawler, he's looked human, he's looked beatable, and he's not just looked beatable, he's been beatable. RDA did the same thing to him. And RDA is an undersized welterweight who doesn't have great power, isn't his strong, but isn't dominantly strong at welterweight, and he was able to out-hustle and slowly break down Robbie Lawler. In the case of Robbie, what he wants to do is he wants to stop Covington's forward pressure. When Covington comes forward, he doesn't even want to let Covington get to the spots he wants to get in 
to do damage, which means Robbie's going to want to jab. He's going to want to feint. Anything that can stop that forward pressure, if he feints a shot, Covington's going to stop because Covington doesn't have good defense. So he has to stop his forward pressure. And in, that, in, in those instances, Robbie can exit on an angle, create space. He could turn Covington or he could just tee off on him. Same thing with the jab. Jab to the face, jab to the chest, jab to the body, breaks that rhythm. Kind of keeps Covington at a distance that he doesn't want to be in, which means his strikes will come off short. He'll be off balance. He can't drop. He can't change levels to get the shots or get underneath Robbie so he can get the clinch. It basically is just going to disrupt everything he does and disrupt his forward pressure. That's what Robbie wants to do. Disrupt that forward pressure, make it a mid-range, long-range striking battle, and basically counter aggressively counter Covington and use your jab and your feints to control his pressure and just pick him apart and then, and then lower the boom on him at some point during the fight. That's what he wants to do. And the question is, which guy is going to be able to do that? Lawler can always do this. But Lawler recently hasn't been as active or as disciplined in his striking as he has been in his early run in the UFC when he won the title. He's got, he gets away from his jab sometimes. He loads up sometimes. He gets in a defensive shell where he's just blocking and parrying and not doing anything. You have him clinched up unless you're beating him up and really making him feel like he's in danger. He'll just take shots and throw an occasional shot in return. So mentally, we've seen Robbie check out of fights if his first big salvo doesn't knock you out. And if that's what he tries against Covington, it's not going to work. Covington's not going to be scared off. Covington's not going to be intimidated. If he wants to stop Covington's pressure, he's going to have to constantly give Covington something to think about, get around, or to work around. I don't know if Robbie Lawler's that guy anymore. I know he'll be dangerous in huge spots, but it's going to take more than one or two big spots to, to turn a fight against Covington. Even though Covington's terribly defensively, he's not a big welterweight, and it, it's, he's a pretty good athlete, but... His athleticism doesn't really translate over to his striking, not in my opinion. I mean, Damian Maya gave him the business on the feet, so I know Robbie can. But it's a matter of, is Robbie mentally prepared to fight a complete and full three rounds? Because if he's going to take, take moments off, that's all Covington needs to get the points necessary to win. He's not going to really beat Robbie Lawler up, but he can out-hustle him and out-work him enough where he can make an impression on the judges that says, I control this fight. I beat a Robbie Lawler. I took this fight over. I won. Now I'm on to the title shot. So are you picking Covington to come out with the victory? Um, I really, I, strategically, I, I'd have to say... He's the what favorite Covington, coming into this fight. It was kind of, which kind of blew me, but doesn't really surprise me at the same time. Yeah, no, it, it, it's just because Robbie's not good when he's pressured. He's not good with a certain kind of fight. And... Covington's whole business is fighting that kind of fight. Strategically, I have to say Covington has more ways to win this fight because there's so many instances where Robbie just checks out. But I'm going to say that Lawler wins the fight. He's going to go back to the old Lawler. He's going to be focused. He's going to be committed. He's going to be fighting from the word go. He's going to come off to maybe not a fast start, but a quicker start and assert himself early. And I think he stops, stops Covington some, sometime later in the fight. I just don't have faith in Covington's defense. And as physical and as grinding as he is, He's, he, when RDA did it against Lawler, RDA was throwing strikes and combinations and kicking at the legs and beating him up in clinches and elbows and knees and punching combinations, and he could box, and he had enough defense where he wasn't getting hit with every single shot coming in. You can't teach defense overnight. You can't teach defense in two or three fight camps. Defense is something that takes years to master, years to set up, years to develop before you see it in a fluid and intelligent manner. 
Covington hasn't paid enough, ten, uh, enough attention to defense. It's all been volume, physicality, and pressure. I don't think that's enough to get it done. He, he's going to apply it intelligently, but I don't think it's enough to get done against a better athlete, a bigger hitter, and a guy who's got enough footwork and all-around distance management skills and wrestling tape down defense to force him to fight in a range that he's just not comfortable in. Now, like I said, Covington can do work offensively, but he can't get away from anything defensively. And if you can't get away from shots that Lawler's throwing at you defensively, I, I, don't, I don't think you have any chance of winning. You either got to be able to take it or get away from it. I don't believe that Covington can get away from the shots, and I don't believe he can take them. Good thoughts there, man. Pretty interesting breakdown. Now, sadly, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, and that's number 45. President Donald Trump and his brother, I think Eric Trump, are going to be in attendance. And, yeah. I mean, it pains me to talk about it, but we got to talk about this. Because it's so unfortunate on so many different levels. Um, this MAGA charade that COVID, I bet you he probably votes Democrat too. This, this, this MAGA stance in front that Covington's put into play has drawn all this attention. And I mean, this just isn't a good look. Um, Shawan, I'm going to let you start and then I'll follow up. But what were your thoughts when you saw this news came out? Well, the first thing I thought is the UFC's got to be very happy because this gets out. This is huge news. This will break all sorts of this. This plays into Colby Covington's heel act. If he somehow wins this fight, I shouldn't say somehow. It's like a stretch. If he wins this fight, it, it's just a big news event. It makes it more. It brings more eyes to it. It brings more attention to it, which is good for mixed martial arts. I'm not sure that how comfortable I feel about athletes. I mean, I, I'm all for athletes speaking up and standing for, for what they believe. But given what some of the people who support Donald Trump and who are around Donald Trump do and say and what it seems to be what Donald Trump feels, because I don't know his heart. I can only go by what I'm seeing him say and what I'm seeing him support. It's just a really bad look for a sport that's already considered anti-minority by some people, favoring people who are of a certain skin color and come from a certain background. That's kind of the knock on mixed martial arts. It's not just us who said it. It's fans who watch it. It's black fans. It's Hispanic fans. It's white fans. People notice these sort of things. And to have Donald Trump kind of anywhere near this and involved in it, I guess it, sell, it's, it sends an underlying message. You know, It sends an underlying message that I don't know that the UFC should be that comfortable with. I mean, they will be because of who their demographic is, but I don't know that they should be that comfortable with that kind of message that it could be sending out. Unfortunately for me, when I saw this, I got um, exhausted, not even mad, because we know who Donald Trump is. We knew who he was long before he announced his presidency. I mean, this is a man who's also, since uh, becoming president, has attacked so many minority men and women that simply just don't agree with him, consistently insulting their intelligence in insulting them in ways that speaks back to Jim Crow racism slavery days. I mean, using terminology, always insulting people's intelligence, like Don Lemon or LeBron James, and it's just unfortunate. We know he has, you know, we know he has no problem taking out his issues on black athletes and women. Uh, we know he has no problem doing that. And and looking at the fact that. The UFC is so welcoming to embrace them, him, 
it's sad because other, I mean, the NFL is willing to embrace them too, whether they say it or not. But minority-driven leagues like the NBA are staying away from him. And it's unfortunate to see this because to me, for example, I was so looking forward to seeing this main event fight. But now I'm not watching. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to turn it off. And I'm going to, I wish more minority and, and black people would do the same thing. But we're not a big enough segment of the fan base to even have an impact. Yep. That's what it comes down to. I, I said so this before when it. So, all in all, just really disappointing. That's, that's kind of the best word to use. Like, if you're a parent and not even mad at your child, you're just disappointed. And then this is really how I feel about the UFC for this charade on Saturday that I will not be watching. It's what I said. It's like, I've said this before when we talked about why certain fighters aren't popular. I'm like, certain demographics don't pay money. They don't really make you money. And when you, and as a businessman, I understand why you go to the demographic that pays your bills. That makes perfect sense to me. But in cases like this, that demographic doesn't speak loud enough for the UFC to have to respect certain lines or have to respect certain things. If women were such a big part of the UFC's thing, some of the things Dana White said about Cyborg would never be allowed because so many women would be offended, it would hurt his bottom line dramatically. If minorities, certain minorities were supportive of their fighters or supportive of certain things and re- really made their dollars felt, then he wouldn't say certain things or let certain people get in the UFC or be around the UFC who has hurt his bottom line. Unfortunately, those people don't have the power to make an impact, and the UFC, they like to pick and choose when they're, oh, we're just about sports, oh, we care about this, we're just about this, no, we're just about sports. They like to flip-flop in between when they're, where their focus comes and where they stand and what they can do and what they can't do. Whatever the situation is beneficial for them, that's the side they fall on. And in this case, we're just sports. I can't control who comes to see the fights. He's a fan of fighting. Who am I to say he can't come? So it's, it's nothing surprising to me. I'm not disappointed by it because I wouldn't expect anything less. And for the people who are upset, the only thing you can do is not watch it because none of us have enough stay or enough financial impacts where our feelings or our concerns would, are going to be respected by the UFC. If we made them enough money, they would take some heed into what we say, but we don't. So they're not going to. Yeah, man, it's just so unfortunate. Let's move on because there's two other fights I want to talk about on this card. Clay Guida and Jim Miller. Is it just me or am I looking at this fight like, you know what, this fight's going to probably be fucking bananas and all types of shit is going to happen. What do you think about this fight here in, in Jim Miller's farewell, fair, farewell tour? Uh, it should be a good fight because you have two guys who are from the same era, have styles and approaches that kind of guarantee a certain amount of action and a certain amount of intensity. And you have guys who are also declining at the same stage. So it's not him against some young guy where he's got to force a slow fight and really be extra physical and, and chip him away and use his veteran experience. It's a fight against another veteran, which cancel out, cancels out all that veteran experience, which forces them to actually have to fight at, an, at, a, at a pace and a physicality, at a level of physicality that will be exciting to fans. Um, I expect a good fight. I always felt bad for Jim Miller. I didn't think he was big enough or athletic enough to be at a lightweight. For some reason, I always hoped he could drop the featherweight because I believe that if he fought at featherweight, he, he would at least get a title shot. He would at least, I don't think he would have beat Aldo or, I guess, McGregor whenever he held the title. 
But I felt that if he could have made Featherweight, he had a chance to at least get his shot at the title. And he's a guy who went on five, six, seven fight win streaks routinely, but can never win the big fight to get him over the hump to get a title fight at lightweight. And I've always felt a little sad about that because I felt that he was a professional. He he never talked bad about somebody. He 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 was a gentleman. He repped the sport. It makes martial arts well. He repped wrestling well. And he just did his job. And he did it at a high level. He showed a high level of heart. He never quit. And he never shortchanged his talent. And he never shortchanged the fans on his effort. And I always felt that that kind of professionalism and that kind of longevity should be rewarded somehow. And it would have just been nice for him to somehow find his way into a title fight. Even if he didn't win, to have the shot to compete for the title. Which is what, that's all any fighter can ask for, is a chance to compete for it. You would like to win it, but to not even get the chance, given how many good fights he's given us and how many tough fighters he's beaten, kind of, kind of, you know, it's kind of a letdown for me, honestly. It's a letdown for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good, hardworking guy who did his job and always showed up and did his very best. I mean, that, isn't that what we teach kids to do? Isn't what parents teach you, teach you growing up? Do your best, show up on time. Don't embarrass your family. Don't embarrass your company. Don't embarrass yourself. Make the most of your talent. Give everything you have, and good things will happen. And he he did that, as far as I know. For the the length of his career, he did that. He just was never able to win the big fight that would get him in the position to have a chance to be a champion. And while he, that, he didn't earn it because he didn't win it, you still feel like there's so many guys who got by on talking trash or one or two wins. And you have a guy like him who's got a whole library of quality wins and he could just never get close enough to even get a chance at it. He's always been like a testament to hard work to me. And I agree with you. You know, it would have been interesting to see him in the title picture. The closest he got was that loss to Ben Henderson, but it's unfortunate, but he's always been someone that's like been on the cusp, but the game passed him by. Yeah. I mean, it, it passed him by and, he was never the biggest guy, and he's not a great athlete. I mean, he's an example of what Forrest, Forrest Griffin used to say. At one point, it was where you were conditioned and who was the actual toughest guy. At a certain point, you started getting a certain level of athlete, and being tough just didn't matter as much as it used to be. Being a grinder didn't matter as much as it used to be. Jim Miller's an example of the romanticism of combat sports, like the Rocky. He's just tough. He just has heart. He just never stops going. That's all well and good. But in reality, athleticism and talent always plays a part. And the one thing he's never had a whole ton of is world-class talent or world-class athleticism. And there's been more than one fight where he's actually lost because he did not have that. At the highest levels, he was always running into brick walls. And it wasn't because the guys were so much better skilled than him or they had more heart or they were more professional or better prepared. He didn't have enough talent to compete. And it's just a reminder that there's... As much as we like to say there aren't limits or there aren't obstacles that are very hard to get past, this is an actual physical representation of the obstacle when you don't have certain things in your, as far as resources. In this case, it would be athletic talent. And he didn't have it, and that's what always held him back. That in size. So is there anything else in this card that stands out to you I think that is worth us talking about tonight? I really was not impressed with this card. I, I have nothing against the UFC. They got to put these cards out. These are one of those cards where I, I might watch it when it happens. I might just watch it afterwards and just review the fights after the fact. 
It doesn't have a lot of fights that are pushed. Like I said, it should have really exciting fights or fights that are pushing the divisions forward. And I, I don't have a guarantee of either one of those things happening on this card. Anything that stand out that makes me want to change my plans to make sure I see these fights. I myself, I'm more excited for the one championship card of Friday morning that features um, Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, and a couple other, and Martin Nguyen, and a couple other guys. Are you watching this fight instead? Uh, I'd like to say I'm going to be up. I don't know. I, it's, that's a tough. That's, that's a tough call. I, I might. I might get up extra early, but even then, I don't think. I think by the time it, I think the main event will be starting, I'll probably be off to work by that time. So I'll probably, I'll probably watch it after the fact. I doubt I'll watch it as it happens. I may try to, man. I might, I, I, I might, big M, stay up late. But this is an interesting card. Yeah, I'm definitely, um, if I don't catch it live, I'm going to figure out a way to watch the, the rebound version of it. What do you think about well, one overall from a promotional and a talent standpoint? I think they have a lot of talent. What they don't have is a lot of name recognition in the talent. And so when you have guys get upset or beaten, it makes it look a lot worse than it is because casuals don't know that person. When Sage Northcutt got beat, they figured he got beat by some nameless bum, not a guy who was close to an elite-level striker who was as good or better athlete than Northcutt and a much better, much more accomplished, much more successful and consistent striker and, a, and an experienced mixed martial artist. So everybody's thinking Sage Northcutt should require, retire because he got beat by a bum. Sage Northcutt got beat by a very high-level fighter. You just don't know who he is. When Eddie Alvarez got beat, it's the same thing. Well, Eddie Alvarez got beat. He must be shot. He must be falling apart. And it's true. Eddie Alvarez is on the decline. He's not going to be here four to five years later. But the guy he faced was very large for the weight class and also a very accomplished fighter. He just hasn't fought in the U.S. very much, and he hasn't been put on the front lines by, by the UFC. So they have a lot of talent. They just don't have the name recognition. And when people don't recognize the names, they instantly assume that there's not quality. Like, oh, I don't recognize this guy. Like a friend of mine who did mixed martial arts, he went into a boxing gym. He wanted to fight one of he wanted to spar one of the big name guys. They had him spar with some 17-year-old kid. The 17-year-old kid just beat the crap out of him. But he didn't know who this kid is, so he felt very embarrassed. This kid was a very good fight. He was like 117. No, he had he was like, no, it takes about 76. And 11 as an amateur. 76 and 11 as an amateur. 76 fights he won. That, it's not embarrassing to get beat by that guy. But when he doesn't have name value, it, it, infect, it affects the impression it's made. And it makes you think less of the fighter. Um, the one thing I will say about one is they're not trying to protect anybody. You sign with them, you better be prepared to fight. There are no easy matchups. There's no showcase fights. They're paying you a lot of money which means you are going to be facing real challenges. And if you're not prepared for that, you do not need to sign with that company. They ain't doing anybody any favors. And uh, while I'm very impressed with it, it doesn't seem like it's the best 